Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy, a Star Trek podcast told through the lens of leadership development. And now, here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. I very much appreciate you choosing to spend your time with me. Last time, I had some I had some pretty critical things to say about Captain Archer, and some of you disagreed with me. And, and that's great. I, I love the feedback. But I want everybody to know I will be honest with what I feel and what I see in these episodes. Star Trek is loaded with great leadership examples. I mean, that's the entire inspiration for this podcast, right? But like any form of media or any leader or any person, it will have lessons or moments that are not great examples. And and that's totally okay. We're leaders and we're Star Trek fans. We take the good with the bad, right? And with that, let's get to it. Deep Space Nine, Meridian. Kira replicates a mid-90s coffee cup. Fill it to the rim. With brim. And explains to Odo the best way to enjoy food. Real fun back and forth where Odo talks about trying to eat. It was very unsatisfying, not to mention messy. Tehran walks up to the two of them and, hey, it's Jeffrey Combs in his very first Star Trek appearance ever. This episode is historical for, for this alone, if nothing else. He is, uh, he's, he's uncomfortably into Kira, which leads to her putting Odo in the very awkward position of being her lover. My lover. You know, that thing where you're hanging out with your unrequited love that you've never confessed to, and then they tell someone just how in love you are to stave off a creeper? Yeah, that whole thing. (laughs) Well, Odo Odo plays the part well, and Tehran is rebuffed, but he makes a point of making sure they know just how rich he is. Money isn't everything. Oh no. But it can buy everything. The defiance in the Gamma Quadrant for the first time since the beginning of the third season. That was that was seven episodes ago. Dax picks up a gravimetric distortion and they head in to check it out. And whoa, whoa an entire planet just materializes out of nowhere. There's a settlement, they've got 30 life forms there, and they hail the Defiant. A person named Recall explains that their planet is called Meridian and that it came out of another dimension. She invites them to come down for a meal to discuss more. Recall introduces the crew to the other people in the settlement. One man is uh, very interested in Dax. Your markings. How far down do they go? But Cisco gets right to business. Recall explains the planet shifts between two dimensions, and they really don't know a lot about why it happens. When they're in the other dimension, they all exist as pure energy. Pure energy. And they don't age while they're there as a result. The man that was talking with Dax, Dural, has been trying to learn why they shift back and forth. To put a point on it, he says their time in normal space is limited. So we always look forward to this existence and its many pleasures. He goes on to say they're in this the uh, they're in the energy dimension for 60 years at a time. Dax is really responding to Dural as he uh, yeah, he keeps he keeps flirting with her. Up in Quark's bar, Tehran is complaining to Quark about how bored he is with the Hollow Suites. Boring. And if you've ever wondered, yeah, they make it pretty, 
pretty crystal clear what actually goes on in those hollow suites. <laughs> Tehran asked for a custom program, making it clear once again that price is not a consideration. So what kind of custom program does he want, you ask? Well, he, uh, he wants Major Kira. Yeah. Yeah. So, of course, Cork, a person that deeply values his friendship with Kira and has worked really hard to earn her respect, immediately rejects the offer and he kicks Tehran out of his bar. Wait, wait, no. Uh, no, actually, he, uh, yeah, he just accepts the deal and he guarantees the program's quality. The things I do for money. Dural and Dax are talking about Meridian and, and how it came to be. She finds it really remarkable there are only 30 people. He says they, they are all descendants of an expedition that was stranded there millennia ago. And judging by their alien makeup, I have to wonder if one of the original explorers was Bam Bam Bigelow. Bam Bam! Dural tells Dax that their time in normal space has been growing shorter every time they materialize. In fact, this time, in just 12 days from now, they'll shift back. This shorter time frame has affected their ability to reproduce, and their numbers have been dwindling for quite some time. At some point, the shifts between the two dimensions will be too short, will cause such a strain that the planet and all of the inhabitants will just cease to exist. You know, for a society that doesn't really know why things are happening to them, they sure have a really solid handle on what has been happening and what will happen in the future. Hmm. Cisco and Recall agree to partner in trying to figure out why the dimensional shifts occur. While they're talking, Cisco interacts seamlessly with the inhabitants, fitting in well and encouraging an atmosphere of trust. It's really excellent timing as it gives him an opportunity to demonstrate that he has a real interest in the people there. He joins Dax and Dural as they head back up to the Defiant to analyze some scans. A theme that I'm going to explore through this episode is that of creating a welcoming and inclusive environment. We saw this with Recall from the moment that she reached out to the Defiant. Cisco, he's doing the same thing. What we will see through this episode is how that welcoming environment, both on Meridian and aboard the Defiant, and, and starting from a place of trust, leads to a productive and enjoyable partnership. Recall opens the relationship by acknowledging the elephant in the room, the fact they just completely appeared out of nowhere, and she follows that up with an invite to share a meal. Cisco, eager to learn about what they just witnessed, and likely really eager to engage with a new culture, quickly accepts. They both assume positive intent from the other and fully engage with each other under that assumption. As the episode continues, we will see them confirm that assumption. They'll leverage their relationship that's built on trust. They will maintain that welcoming environment. And that'll lead to them taking some, some pretty extreme risks to try and learn that which has evaded them for, for millennia. So how does, this compare, how does this compare to your style? Would people describe your workplace as welcoming? When you work with staff, colleagues, or customers, do you assume positive intent and start from a place of trust? If you answered yes to all of these, hey, good for you. Hooray, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but if you're like most of us, you likely have some work to do in these areas. When I say a welcoming environment, I don't just mean like when people visit, they feel welcome. I mean every person, every day, every interaction feels welcome. They feel like they belong there. 
that they have value. Really, that they are wanted there. I mean, can you think of a time you didn't feel like you were even wanted at work? That you were a little more than, I don't know, like a number that could just be replaced? I know I have, and it's terrible. I remember it really well. I'd call in, to, I'd call in sick to work just to avoid being there. The more, the more that I felt I wasn't really wanted, the less I wanted to be there. <laughs> you can imagine what my work performance looked like. And this wasn't just a me thing. They didn't just not want Jeff Aiken there. It was everyone. We were all replaceable. Most of the others just kept their heads down, did just enough not to get fired and not to be noticed. Some even went a step further and actively sabotaged projects. Hence the word sabotage. Eventually, eventually I gathered the courage to finally leave that job. And it was one of the best choices I ever made for myself. But what if I hadn't had to make that choice? What if my leadership worked to be sure that we all felt wanted? God, I, I loved the work that we did. I, I might even still be there. But despite where I may have landed, had people felt wanted there, welcome there, they would have given more of themselves. Our work products would have been better. People certainly wouldn't have been actively sabotaging work. Well, in this episode, so far, we have quickly seen just how easy it can be to make somebody feel welcome. Now we'll start to see some of the payoff from that. On Deep Space Nine, Kira comes into Quark's bar, where he informs her that she's his one millionth customer. It's my pleasure to announce that my one millionth customer just walked through the door, and here she is, ladies and gentlemen, Major Kira Narese. He gifts her some champagne, free spins at the Dabo wheel, and an hour in a hollow suite. There's a fun, genuine moment where she is really excited and shares that she's never actually won anything. I never won anything before. Kira's excited about the hour in the hollow suite. You see, it's Ensign Quintana's birthday, and she plans on gifting them the hour. See, she absolutely deplores and hates hollow suites. Well, Quark's plan to get a hollow image of Kira is thwarted. But how cool is Kira, though? First, first she's genuinely excited to have won something. It's easy to forget the absolute horror show her childhood was. Growing up in the Bajoran resistance didn't have trophies or participation ribbons. You either survived or didn't. Or worse. And then, in, in the mark of a really strong leader, she immediately thinks of her team and how to recognize them. She knows Ensign Quintana would appreciate a free hour in there, and she immediately passes the gift on to them. It's a selfless act. She expects nothing in return. All she sees is an opportunity to make a team member's day better. Dax and Cisco have some minor breakthroughs in the Meridian mystery. Dural, though, while he's interested, is a lot more interested in Jadzia. They head back to the planet, they run around and explore the forests. We learn that Dural's wife died some time ago, and there's pressure on him to choose a new mate. Well, they enjoy the time together as uh, we quietly fade to commercial. Okay, we're back to the show, and they're back to business, continuing to work the sensor data and the information coming in from the Defiant. After some time, Dax figures out why the shifts are occurring. She goes back to the Defiant. She wants to run her hypothesis by O'Brien and Cisco. Oh, more on the station with Quark and Kira. But Kira, 
Kira is absolutely awesome here. She lets Quark know she's not going to put up with this garbage. If I ever catch you pointing a hollow imager at me again, you will end up eating it. Quark doesn't give up, and he finds a way to access Kira's personnel file and is able to create a hollow image of her. But his hacking attempts are detected by Odo, so he and Kira cook up a plan to get some revenge against Quark. Jadzia confirms they can equalize the time spent between each dimension, essentially spending 30 years in each instead of 60 in one in just a few days in normal space. But the catch, it's going to take quite a while to develop the fix, so Meridian's going to have to phase back into the other dimension at least one more time. Facing a 60-year clock, Dural and Jadzia aren't going to be able to have that long-term relationship they've kind of been talking about. So Dural, he works with Recall and says he's going to stay with the crew uh, here in normal space. He's going to head back to DS9. Bashir and Dax have a really cool and fun bonding moment over this with him, uh, Bashir teasing her about playing Tongo. They both head back to the planet and Dax and Dural have their first heart-to-heart conversation. Dural really cares a lot for his people and he's torn between staying with them and being able to have a relationship with Jadzia. Dax offers to fade into the other dimension with him to leave the crew and stay with Dural. He's really humbled by the offer, and after a little conversation, they agree and they start to work to make it happen. Cisco comes into Dax's cabin to see her off. I bet this is the first time anyone has requested a 60-year leave. <laughs> he shines here as both a leader and as a friend. He makes sure that this is what, what, what she really truly wants. He's been friends with both Curzon and Jadzia. He only wants what's going to make Dax truly happy. It's not at all about him. It's not about his needs, neither personally nor professionally. It's about what his dear friend, his colleague, and his subordinate wants. I mean, he could be selfish, right? He could easily deny the leave request. He could keep her on the crew, but he doesn't. He knows that there's more at stake here for her than, than any need he might have. Cisco models one of my absolute favorite mantras in leadership. It's not about me. It's all about you. Mercifully, the Tehran Quark Kira story comes to an end. Quark gives Tehran the program, and he eagerly, overly eagerly enters in. He sees Kira's body lying on a bed, but with Quark's head. Got you, Tehran. Kira successfully shut down the scheme, and oh, he is all kinds of mad. Okay, that's uh, that is that is finally over. On the Defiant, Dax says her goodbyes to Bashir, O'Brien, and Cisco. You know, I would think, knowing that she's going to be gone for 60 years, she might have reached out, you know, I don't know, to her best friend Kira, maybe some other people on the station, but I guess these three will do. Recall continues to just be totally awesome as she welcomes Jadzia to the settlement. Jadzia, I just wanted you to know how happy we are you've decided to join us. Thank you. There's absolutely no judgment from her here. It's, it's just trust. It's just inclusion and, 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 and pure welcoming. But the phase shift does not go well. Turns out Dax's molecular makeup is not a good fit. Her presence is risking the, the planet, all of the inhabitants, and her. Bashir and Sisko make the call to beam her out, and as soon as they do, Meridian safely phases away. But Dax and Dural have been separated. Cisco checks in with Dax, and she says, I just need some time. And he gives it to her. 
Wow, this is incredible. So, so good. When people experience loss, we never know what to say or what to do. In fact, we often end up saying the wrong things, all, all with the, the best of intentions. You know, I'm, I'm so sorry for your loss. When my loved one died, it made me feel you know, blah, 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 stuff like that, right? We want to be there. We want, we want to be able to comfort people. In fact, years ago, years ago I, lost, I lost somebody that was really, really important to me. In fact, they were really my everything. They were sick, and it was becoming apparent that the end was nearing, and I, I just couldn't handle it. I sought out bereavement counseling, and, and God, it, it, sa- it saved me. Without it, I wouldn't have been able to feel what I needed to feel. But I was terrified of returning to work and hearing all the platitudes from everybody. Just, just the thought of it made me want to crawl into the world's deepest hole and just stay there forever. A counselor told me something so powerful, though, that, that, that empowered me to return to work and, and, and face all of the really well-intentioned comments people were going to make. They say when someone experiences loss, we also experience a form of loss. It's, it's a shared feeling. When people share platitudes or stories or attempt to commiserate with you, it's about them working through their feelings at that moment. It's an important part of, of, of the whole process. Just knowing that really helped me to weather the storm. I knew, I knew that I was helping others, and, and that helped me. And if you didn't get anything else out of that, please just hear this. Mental health is a very real and important thing. Like, seek out professional medical help. It's a, it's a good and important thing to do. Okay, so that, that helps me kind of set the context for this master move by Cisco. Jadzia says uh, just that she needs some time. He nods and he leaves. Brilliant. He again doesn't make it at all about him. She needs time. He gives it to her. Period. No expectations. No, you're entitled to a 30-minute break and then I need you back at your station. He gives her what she needs without question. This offer of trust is immeasurable in its impact. Knowing that her friend and her boss has her back through this will help her in feeling what she so desperately needs to feel. And when she does return to work, She'll do so with a passion because she knows that she belongs and that she matters. So last time I said this was an emotional one and that I was looking forward to it. So, yeah, it was kind of emotional. Maybe maybe not one really to necessarily look forward to, though. I'll chalk this up to a case of the memory being a little more fond than the actual episode. It bears just a quick comment, but the Tehran Court Kira storyline, it just, it just shouldn't have happened. Or, or if it did, it should have happened very differently. If either Cork just shut Tehran down or Kira had Cork kicked off the station, yeah, I could get behind this. Instead, instead it just shows that Cork is an evil, filthy, horrible person that will do anything for money. More money, more money, more money. The gimmick at the end with Cork's head on Kira's body, yeah, that's a Deep Space Nine moment. But I would gladly give that up if it meant never seeing this awful story play out. I'm super glad it introduced us to Jeffrey Combs, though. I mean, he is amazing. And he did with this role exactly what was intended. 
Still, when I think of him, I'm going to choose to think of, I don't know, Brunt, Wayun, Shran, Krem, Pank, you know, one of the many other incredible characters he plays. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to go ahead and let myself forget about Tehran again. The planet, the story with the planet phasing between dimensions, really interesting concept. And I mean, that's, that is, that is a very perfect Star Trek worthy story right there. It's the whole Dural Dax relationship. I have a, I have a really hard time with it. No, look, it, it, it might just be me, but Dax has lived for eight lifetimes at this point. Let me do the quick math right here. Carry the one square root. Yeah, that's about 350 some odd years. Yeah, I, I find it pretty hard to believe that after just a few days of science work and some awkward mid-90s TV flirting, she'd be willing to throw away all that Jadzia had worked for just, just for this guy. Now, maybe the long lifespan and the multiple lives make 60 years seem pretty insignificant, but she's willing to give up, I mean, like Cisco, she's willing to give up her, her, her life with Cisco, most of Cisco's life. For Dural, I just, I, I, I just don't, I don't buy it. This wasn't a bad episode necessarily, but it, it's not necessarily one I'm going to eagerly look forward to, to watching again. Command codes verified. Not a lot of time dedicated to leadership in this episode. Kira, Kira has a real shining moment that we discussed earlier. You know, it actually reminds me of an activity we did back in my high school global issues class my senior year. Forget a lot of the details, but we were talking, I think it was about the, the impacts of urbanization in Africa. The exercise had us all as members of a small agricultural African tribe. The teacher appointed me as the leader of this tribe. You know, in, in retrospect, I think it's because uh, she, she must have hated me. Um, you see, each turn, I was given a bag of, of food and had a series of choices to make. She would dictate some actions, and I'd have to make decisions about, about the rest. So, turn number one, it's all good, right? I get a bag of Hershey Kisses to distribute to the tribe. That represents our bountiful harvest. And I get to assign some of the tribe to, to different jobs. Easy, innocuous stuff, right? Then turn two comes around, and some of my tribe has moved to the city. So now I've got a few less people to assign work to. After a couple more turns, uh, more people have moved. Weather's damaged our crops. We've had some diseases. Uh, not, not really looking quite so good. My baggie of food, it can still feed everybody, but now it's a mix of Hershey's Kisses and shredded mini-wheat pieces. This activity continues until, well, everyone dies. Horribly. And my classmates are all mad because I, I made them eat shredded wheat. So, uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you for that, Global Issues teacher, who I won't uh, name because I actually have a tremendous amount of respect for. But still, yeah, i kind of thinking this might have been a, a really pointed choice on their port. Hmm. Well, one thing I did, though, that was a saving grace for my ever-so-glorious high school years was that uh, I would always give myself the shredded wheat first. That is, the tribe would get the kisses until there just weren't any left. I gave up any luxury for myself to serve the greater mission. In this case, my tribe. Kira does that with the hollow sweet gift, right? She gives the Hershey's kiss of the prize, uh, the, the hour in the hollow sweet, to Ensign Quintana. I spoke quite a bit about Cisco's response to Dax's loss. What he demonstrated here was emotional intelligence and empathy. These are absolutely critical traits for a leader. 
they require vulnerability though. Uh, Cisco in this case, or you in real life, you, you have to be open. You have to be real. I mean, like think about it. His heart must have been broken for Jadzia to see his dear friend just so broken. But to do anything more than he did would have really just been self-serving. He gave of himself so that she could thrive and that she could be better. Now, I'm going to group Cisco and Recall together on this last note. Earlier in the podcast, I spoke about creating a welcoming and inclusive environment. Their dedication to that is going to result in a more normalized existence for the inhabitants of Meridian. And they, they both made it look so easy to do. Just be warm and inviting. You know, be cool. But if it's so easy, why don't more leaders do it? Why isn't every workplace an awesome environment that people want to be a part of? Honestly, there are quite a few reasons, but two, two come front of mind for me, priorities and knowledge. So if my priority is to churn out widgets, I'm going to crack the whip. Uh, I'm going to churn those widgets out. But ultimately, it's a lack of knowledge because if that widget maker knew the impact of creating and sustaining a welcoming and inclusive environment, pff, they'd be all in. It's been proven time and again, that employees that feel included and welcome perform better. I've experienced this in my own work. Making the people I work with the number one priority and allowing the work to essentially become a side effect of that focus has led us to producing more year to year in less time with a third less headcount. The only quantifiable change we made was to make our people the priority. So great. Now you have the knowledge that it's good business, good leadership to create a welcoming environment. But how do you do it? Well, you start by creating an uncompromising and consistent vision for inclusion, ensuring that everyone is valued and feels important. They feel and know they are welcome and included. Then actively model and reinforce the behaviors that achieve that vision. For example, uh, positively reinforce when people show genuine concern towards team members, when they're making an extra effort to understand problems faced by others, when working together to arrive at decisions that all can accept, or when they make efforts to uncover opposing or alternative views in order to try to, 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 to better understand and solve problems, when people have a willingness to help each other, and ultimately when people are standing up for each other. Other strategies that are key to building a welcoming and inclusive environment are to recruit equitably and without bias to seek out and offer inclusion training. This is beyond diversity or like cultural competence type of trainings, but training focused on inclusion for everyone. Be transparent and openly talk about your vision and other topics that are, are, are meaningful to your teams. Much like Cisco and Recall making this look easy, this may all sound very easy. What is, what is difficult? It, it's, it's, it's hard to be consistent. It, it can be hard to be uncompromising in your vision, especially when people are challenging your vision. When people model behaviors like withholding information or being condescending, or, or worse yet, verbally or even physically dominating others, you must respond. You cannot let that go. 
These behaviors will undermine all the positive work in reinforcing the desired behaviors. Bottom line, be consistent. Cisco, Cisco again shows us that he is a leader worth following. And hey, so is Kira. Both have demonstrated their commitment to the people they work with and have actively worked to lift them up, empower them, and allow them to be better. Okay, so who loved this episode and hates me now? Tell me why. I want to know. Was there something in here, like something you heard that was an aha for you? Please share it with me. Is there something I missed? Did, did I get it all wrong? Look, I'm on all the social media. It's at Jeff T. Aiken. Jeff T. as in toy maker, A-K-I-N. And if you've enjoyed the Starfleet Leadership Academy, please share it with a friend or someone you think could benefit from it. Okay, so what are we going to watch next time? Working. Oh, the Omega Glory from the original series. Hmm. Well, hey, one cool thing in there, we get to see another Constitution-class starship. That's always exciting back in the TOS days, right? Well, until then, ex astra scientia. We'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Are you passionate about saving the planet for future generations? Do you want to learn how to do it? If yes, then you need to tune in to the Nature Back podcast. It's a talk show covering the changing world around us. From renewable energy, sustainable agriculture, circular economy, to ESG and social innovation. Don't miss this opportunity to discover how you can join the movement and make a difference. Subscribe to the Nature Back podcast today on your favorite platform and get ready to be amazed. Electric acid.